the free for all roundtable brought to you by lexus avon canada's newest lexus dealer in the maple auto mall near rutherford at highway 400 luxury is closer than you think round one jerry agar in for john moore who will be back tomorrow and on round one sabrina nanji queen's park observer journalist co-founder of the line an online magazine matt gurney and john burnside toronto city councillor and ttc chair just as an aside two more ttc violent incidents over the last day or so yeah i mean very sad actually and very unfortunate but um one was outside of the station i believe and this is i think as i've said before and as of others this is a larger city issue that we have to get a handle on yeah um so matt uh, a little earlier i was talking with uh, brian Lilly, and he says he lives right by one of the parks allen gardens that he was reporting on and how it's been taken over by um a variety of people some of whom are homeless some of whom might not be, by the way. Uh, and he said Toronto fails to enforce its own bylaws. Is he on the right track? You know what? I mean, one way or the other, I, I I hate the hypocrisy as much as I hate anything else here. So either change the bylaws or enforce them here. It, to to what, what the councillor was just saying here about this being a citywide problem, obviously the violence in the TDC is a citywide problem. We all understand that there are all the aggravating factors contributing to that here. But you know what else is a citywide problem? Everybody out there seeing that there are laws that no one is even bothering to enforce here. So let's figure out what the laws ought to be and then just enforce them consistently. Like, I don't know why this is such a hard thing for me to keep asking for. So, Sabrina, we're getting nice sunny weather. Would you like to uh, get together with a friend and just enjoy the sunshine after work at Allen Gardens? I mean, I would like that, but I, I really don't like the idea of it. I don't even like the idea of, you know, walking by that park alone, which is something I, I did not too long ago. I mean, I, I kind of agree with my co-panelists here. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what the solution is, but I, I'm worried it might get worse before it gets better. And and I kind of heard, you know, you and Brian Lilly chatting about how tensions are running high on all sides right now. Um, I think, you know, clearly... Uh, this is an opportunity for our mayoral candidates uh, to, to weigh in on this and actually take a stance. And I, I think it has the potential to become a wedge issue. I know there are going to be a few speaking about it today. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, I, I do understand our shelter system is a mess, uh, but there's also residents who have concerns too, myself included. So I'm not sure, you know, what the solution is here. I think part of the problem is also that we have a bit of a caretaker in the mayor's office now while we have this election going on. So so it's an opportunity, absolutely. Okay, but was I wrong, do you think, John Burnside, when I said, you know, some of those people aren't even homeless? Uh, no, you're 100% right. There, In fact, there are parks in this city, in the downtown core, where it's just about partying and nothing else. I mean, Allen Gardens is a complex, uh, complex place with many people with complex issues. But here's the thing. People always talk about, well, we can't police our way out of this. Fair enough to an extent. But that's the law side of things. There's also the order side of things. And that's where the police can come in if we actually had enough police to do the job. So we have a lot of noise bylaws. Uh, unfortunately, our... MLS people who are supposed to deal with noise finish at 11 and it's too dangerous for them. So there are a lot of ways that the police can get in there, move people out. Yes, they're going to come back, but just keep moving them out. Um, the problem is the city, as a general rule, gives up on these things and, um, and, and you know, we see what's happening. Same thing happened at uh, Queen Street Station. People were doing drugs or they were strung out, they were sleeping at the entrance. And I said to the, uh, the TTC, I said, why aren't we clearing these people out, getting them a place to stay and the response was oh they keep coming back and my response was 
So then we keep coming back. And that's what we've been doing, and we've been successful. You know, people keep running stop lights and red lights, but for stop signs and red lights, and for some reason, uh, we keep giving out tickets. We don't just go, oh, yeah, well, forget it. Uh, it's just laziness on the part of the city, as far as I'm concerned. Jerry, well, can I jump in just for a second there? And first of all, I, I want to say to the councillor, John, I'm glad you mentioned the fact that the TDC has been traditionally a, a bad offender at this. Like, I haven't ridden it often enough to be able to tell you recently whether or not it's been making progress. but. Everything we were saying about the parks a minute ago is exactly the state of the TTC in the last couple of years. So, like, good on you, at least, for mentioning that. But, Jerry, to your point, I think we should all acknowledge the fact here about why dealing with some of these things are harder than others. It's awkward for the politicians. They don't want the questions. They don't want the be- they don't want the the video of fights Tough in luck. parks or if encampments being cleared. Right? Like th- the more politically radioactive something it is, the more magically we somehow forget to do it. How radioactive do you think it is? If you the, you think the majority of people are okay with parks being taken over by uh, drug addicted, mentally ill uh, people and a and a set of partiers? No, I think the majority of people aren't. But I think we live in an era where a highly motivated and effective social media campaign by like seven guys can paralyze an entire level of government. Yeah, well, then that tells you something about the weak need, spineless nature of politicians. But that said, uh, Sabrina, every time we see a new poll come out on uh, where the mayoral candidates are uh, in terms of support, and sometimes the numbers from one poll to another might disagree, except for one thing. Olivia Chow is always comfortably in the lead. Do you think that that is a fait accompli for her? Yeah, um, I think, you know, it's safe to say now that there, that, uh, you know, Chow's camp is really happy with this. Uh, we've gotten past this point where we can owe her lead in the polls to just name recognition. You know, it's uh, the, the campaign is coming up uh, very closely now. But, you know, this isn't her first rodeo. And so I think while in the past her campaigns have had their fair share of problems, this time around, uh, you know, things se- seem to be sticking. But there's still plenty of time to screw it up. And I think this is where the rubber hits the road. So we can accept, uh, expect some Hail Mary passes on the policy front because a lot of campaign uh, campaigns are, are promising similar things. Uh, you know, safety on the TTC and in the parks is, is probably one issue uh, that we're going to see come up as well. We're, we're talking about it now. I mean, so I think we're going to see can- candidates starting to differentiate themselves and trying to um, overtake Olivia Chow in particular. Um, we can also see things get a bit nasty uh and we have kind of seen that that come out too. Um, I know we you've been talking about those tweets from Brad Bradford, and he even took aim at Olivia Chow um, in his you know tra- anti traffic stance, you know, saying she's going to make gridlock worse. Worse. So I think for sure, you know, Chow can be proud, but the knives are about to come out. All right, but uh, Matt, people will bring up that the last time Olivia Chow ran for mayor, she was comfortably in the lead in the polls, and then in the end came third. Could that happen again, or is it different now? Um, I think it could happen again, but I I certainly think, I mean, I think we all have to acknowledge it is different now, if only because like the 13 intervening years of Canadian history have punched us all in the face a bunch of times. I have to tell you guys, I have never seen an election campaign where people have been less engaged. And Sabrina, you and I had spoken uh, directly about this, how, how weird the last uh, provincial election campaign was. It felt kind of like a Twilight Zone campaign, right? Like, what happens if you throw an election and no one pays any attention? 
this Toronto mayoral campaign is worse. And it should be more interesting, right? Like we had a popular mayor suddenly leaving under a cloud of scandal. We've got a wide open field. Objectively, this should be an interesting election. Nobody I know is paying attention to it unless they are literally paid to. And even then, they're pretty reluctant. (laughs) Well, what about somebody who's already on city council? What do you think? Well, okay, so I think th- I actually think uh, Olivia Chow is ahead because of name recognition. And the problem is no candidate has made an emotional connection with the voters. You know, if you look back at Obama, it was all about hope. Trump was all about anger. Bush, there was likability. Uh, John Tory, it was about restoring pride. One of these candidates has to make a, an emotional connection. None of them are. They're getting uh, mired in policy debate uh, about affordable housing. W- just explaining what affordable housing is, is complicated and people tune out. Until someone can actually make that emotional connection, name recognition wins. All right, we had an interesting conversation earlier this morning on the show. There's an article in the Globe and Mail on this. Thank your local university for higher rent. Uh, Not just the university, but colleges. Anybody bringing in international students. And the argument is, Matt Gurney, that there are so many international students coming in, they bid for and bid up the the uh, scarcity of rent that we have in the city, and uh, maybe the, the universities need to start building some housing. Oh, no, the universities absolutely should be building housing. And this is something where uh, I've spoken, you mentioned the Globe Mail article, that was Mike Moffat. I've spoken with him directly many, many times about this as I've interviewed him on uh, housing policy. He's been actually really banging the drum on this one for years. He's been trying to warn us, but in typical Canadian fashion, we completely ignored him until the crisis arrived. This is a big, big problem. And the universities, not always, but usually also have either the financial means or literally the real estate. Like they've got a big enough footprint where they could put in some high density housing. So this is like a relatively easy solution to a real problem here. But we've put ourselves so behind the eight ball on all matters related to housing. But I think, you know, Sabrina, you had said a few minutes ago in the context of the situation in the parks that you think things are going to get worse before they're going to get better. I think on housing and probably the parks as well, I think we have to be at the point now where we're looking at this and acknowledging that things are absolutely 100% going to get worse before they get better because the momentum guarantees it, right? Like we will not be able to turn this around before things get worse. Housing costs, like just like my neighbor rents out her basement, the competition for her basement is insane. Sabrina? Yeah, I think that, you know, this column is just pointing out one of the many factors um, that's that's creating this housing crisis that we're in. And I do think there is some onus on these universities because obviously foreign um, foreign students, uh, you know, they, they bring in a lot of money for the universities themselves, more so than, you know, a domestic student. And so I think that, you know, they, they do have some responsibility in housing these folks. Um, so it's not having the the repercussions on, you know, the, the rest of the, the city or the town that the school is in. But of course, course, you know, this is a, a multi-pronged issue and this is just one factor. We talked about how great Mike Moffat is at, at talking about housing policy. And so I think he's kind of done a good job at, at pointing this out, but it's just one in a myriad of issues. Yeah, it's a complicated issue, but it always brings up the issue of um, this is a type of immigration issue when you're bringing in foreign students, a number of whom will stay. And there's a catch-22 thing going on here, John Burnside. And it is people will say, well, you got to build the infrastructure and then bring in the immigrants. 
but apparently we need the immigrants to build the infrastructure. Well, yeah, and I think they're getting blamed in, in because um, we're, we're bringing more in, but the reason we're bringing more in is because they actually bring in more money. Here's the root of the issue as far as I can see it. It's kind of the same as rent control. When you only allow landlords to uh, up their rent by 1% and their costs are going up by 5 or 10 a year, it's no wonder buildings become decrepit. In terms of this one, the government in 2019 reduced tuition by 10% and has frozen it ever since. We know that construction costs in the last three years have probably gone up 30%. There's a huge delta in what um, what the costs of construction are to the money that the universities and colleges are getting. If you allow them to charge uh, proper um, tuition, then they can build it. But when they're cash-strapped, you tell me how they do it. Well, I don't think they are cash-strapped. They, they, they charge those students an awful lot more than they charge uh, students here, so they should be able to figure out the math on that. Well, 5% more, but uh, construction costs have probably gone up 30%. Okay, charge um, more then. Okay, but then you can't complain that, we have, that we're bringing too many people in. All I'm saying is when you, when you limit the amount of money that universities and colleges can charge for, for their service, the, the power they have to do anything other than deliver education is going to be limited. That's something that you would actually argue, Jerry. I'm, I've got less than a minute here, so really quickly around uh, the horn here, Brad Bradford's going to join me after the news. Should I'll start with you, uh, uh, Councillor. Should Brad Bradford have done a campaign ad in which he's drinking illegally in a park? Uh, no, because I think uh, the, the campaign should be about order in the city, and that's uh, kind of disorderly. Sabrina? I mean, don't do it right before you're about to film yourself driving in traffic. I think that's probably a bad look. <laughs> Matt? Yeah, he should have. It's a ridiculous law. It's really dumb we haven't changed it. Let's fix it. Okay, so it's okay for a councillor to break the law and then lobby for changing it. None of it is okay, but I have to choose the least bad option here. All right. Thanks very much to all of you. Catch the roundtable. Round one at 745. Round two at 845. Weekday mornings on more in the morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.